Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. This is Dan coming to you from my little wood shop in my backyard. Uh, speaking of that, DTMWW.net's my little woodworking handyman business that I run out of the Louisville metropolitan area. So if uh, reach out to me if uh, you need anything that might fit those skill sets. Uh, is this the first time you're tuned into this? Uh, this Spiritual Underground Podcast is uh, primarily a 12-step step based podcast. Uh, we talk about other avenues of recovery also, but primarily, uh, our guests are, have, have, have come to a recovered state through the 12 steps. Getting that out of the way, uh, there's also another program going on in Louisville called 12 Step Spiritual Recovery, a book by James Christopher Cohn of the same name could be found on Amazon. Uh, James Christopher Cohn, 12 Step Spiritual Recovery. It's a, uh, uh, the steps for anybody. You do not have to fit the traditional, uh, 12-step models in order to use these tools to uh, see improvement in your life. Um, so check that out. And also want to give credit to Darren Frank for the music around this podcast, uh, the intro and outro. He has continued to uh, recover his physical health in a rehabilitation center here locally. So keep him in your prayers. So, uh, I've had a little string and we just, uh, I think it's a measure to some extent of, uh, of our home group and the fact that we are carrying this message in the way it was meant to be carried. And, and the metric that, that sticks out to me is how many one year tokens we give away a year. Um, every year it's more. Uh, if I counted the other day, I think we're on track. If everybody makes it this year, it'll be 16 one-year tokens that we, that will be presented at, that are at our home group and my guest today is one of those uh so it was like 12 a couple years ago and then it was like 13 and now we're looking at 16 uh i like to get guys on then and i've actually toyed around with maybe getting somebody in that was like brand new before they were you know and, ha- and interview them and then interview them after their one-year anniversary to hear that difference and patch that to that podcast together and the differences in what somebody who, cause it, it really does is when we work this process, it changes our very being, our way of being, uh, in a drastic manner. And I think you would hear that through their, even just through their voice on the podcast. Uh, you know, I can't really remember how I met Dylan. I, I believe it was at the spiritual underground. Uh, you come bopping in there one day and, uh, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to tell your story at all. And, and I'm a product of that too. Uh, we struggle in the beginning to get our footing. Uh, and then one day something clicks mm-hmm. and, and, our, and I'd love to have the recipe of how that works and how that click happens. Uh, but, it, and, and it might happen, uh, you know, I think that's the root of keep coming back is that keep coming back, go to lots of meetings, uh, check it out and, and, you know, don't quit before the miracle happens is what we say. And eventually, if you keep on trying, you'll land in your spot mm-hmm. and, and get some traction and, uh, and, and be able to, uh, to, uh, harness this power that the book talks about we're lacking when we get here. Uh, so Dylan, what's, uh, how you doing today, man? I'm good. You excited? Yes. Nervous? Yes. Good. Uh, I kind of like the nervousness part of it because uh, that means you're wondering what you're going to say, and that means it'll probably come out real. 
after a few minutes, these microphones disappear. Uh, and, 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 and when we just become a, it just becomes a conversation and I actually can usually see that happen, uh, when a guy forgets that the microphone's there. Uh, what's your sobriety date? One eleven nineteen. One eleven nineteen. So yeah, you were one of the January, you celebrated the same month I did. And, uh, so that is super cool. And, uh, man, I just love watching guys get that first year. There's something magical about that. Uh, and, and the transformation in your entire demeanor over that year. Uh, I have an extra little flair personally in that is that you are one of my sponsees, sponsees, and that's this lineage thing of where we carry this message and, uh, and, and, and watch it actually spread. And once again, I'll say, I know that's not me. That's the power of this work and doing it. And, uh, and, and the help of a higher power coming in and intervening. I have buddy Brian in here and I like the way he said it. He said it was a third party intervention. Uh, I, I like that. Did you grow up around here? Uh, no, I'm originally from Owensboro, Kentucky. I moved up here when I was 11. Okay. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. In Owensboro? Period. Okay. So, yeah. I was, uh... I was born in Owensboro, Kentucky, and I lived with my grandparents. I didn't, and the lady, growing up, a lady kept coming visiting the house where my grandparents lived, and I was, I had a good feeling about this lady, and I didn't know who she was, and then when I turned, when I turned about 10 or 11, my grandma told me it was my mom. She Hmm. came up to Louisville to get recovery, and so that's when I said, I'm moving to Louisville with my mom. Hmm. So she was actually visiting, and you didn't know that that was actually. I didn't your know mother. who she was. I just had. This, she always brought candy, and I always wanted to hang out with her. Yeah. Do you think that was kept from you, or was that just? Um, it was, was like it, to protect was, uh, you. Maybe my protect grandma her. Was trying to protect me in a way, I guess. Yeah. She didn't want to. She didn't want any of the kids to leave, and Caleb moved. My brother, my older brother, moved first, and then I moved second. Started my journey in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, at about 11 years old, huh? Yep. Um, it sounds like your uh, grandma provided a pretty good environment for you when you were little. Very strict. Strict. Uh, I won't put good or bad on that, but strict. <laughs> Very country-driven strict. Yeah. Was she, it actually in Owensboro or was yeah. it the outskirts? No, in Owensboro. Okay. You know, like if, I'm, if I tell somebody, if, I'm, if somebody asks me where I'm from, Usually, if I'm very far from here, I have to say Louisville, Kentucky, because nobody knows where New Albany, Indiana is. So uh, <laughs> sometimes we use the bigger, the bigger, uh, the closest city name as a a regional uh, marker rather than uh, truly where you were from. All of my relatives, some are civilized country, and then I have some that are just rednecks, straight up rednecks. Yeah, but I love them all. Yeah, there's uh, takes all kinds, man. And uh, actually, that's where at my aunt's house is where i had my first drink at eight years old oh really yeah talk about that so i was hanging out with my older cousin kelly he's a year older than my older brother i was about eight and we were at my aunt's house and he goes in the garage and i go with him and he opens up a beer some budweiser or something it was some cheap beer well maybe bush light maybe bush light something gross He's like, you want one? And I was like, sure. And I chugged it, 
And I was like, that was gross. But I instantly loved the way I felt. Yeah. I was like, give me another one. And he said, no. Ah. And then kicked me out of the garage. And then I got home. My grandma was like, why are you acting so funny, Dylan? And I was like, I don't know. And then I guess she smelled it on my breath. And oh, really? I went into her and my grandpa's room, and he was like, do you want the hand or the belt? I said, hand. He's got big old monster hands. But that was my first drink. So what I heard there was like a phenomenon, a craving thing going on right out of the gates where even after the first beer, I wanted another one. I wanted another one Even though it tastes like crap. Even though it was really bad. And he kept saying, chug it. Before I opened it, he was like, you're going to have to chug it or shotgun it. I was like, what's shotgun in it? And so he showed me what shotgun. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to chug it. And so that's that was my first drink. Amazing. Eight years old. So where to go from there? Uh, so I moved up here to Louisville and lived with my mom over in the Highlands and with my brother and her. And uh And she's recovered at this point? Yeah. She has she'll have fifteen years this year. Cool. And is now a doctor. But so we were living in the Highlands and I went to Highland Middle School. And instantly started hanging out with, with kids who smoked weed and drank. Hmm. And that's, I mean, I made it past middle school, but that's all I did was smoke, drink, get in fights, like just awful shit. And so f- from there, she married Keith, who now, who will have 18 years this year of sobriety. Yeah, we got some extra energy in the studio, so... And uh, we moved out to Brownsboro on 22. And uh, I was just acting a fool. Wouldn't go to high school. To be honest, if I'm, if I'm going to be completely honest, my mom's done most of my high school online. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that's me getting brutally honest. And I have like, I'm 22 and I have two credits left. And I'm going to do them. But... To graduate, to get a GED, to graduate high school or... High school diploma. Yeah. It's called Penn Foster. Hmm. And so we moved out there and I started hanging around kids out there. And I lit at their house, Mom and Keith's house. I lived two houses away from my ex-girlfriend. And so I met my Brownsboro Road best friend. And then we started doing ridiculous shit. Like, like what? Snorting cocaine, drinking anything we can get our hands on, yeah. rapping, doing freestyles like that, just hanging out at his dad's house. My Mostly sponsor just, would talk about that being the, not, he would always correct me when I said my things were stupid or ridiculous or anything like that. And that's ultimately with the, this whole powerless issue. You know, you think you're choosing to do that. Right. But the disease has got a handle on you, and it's like got the joystick with a label on it called Dylan. Yeah. And it is telling you what you're going to do. My biggest thing out there with him was uh, whiskey. Sorry. Whiskey, Xanax, cocaine, and some other stuff. And that's a great combination for a teenager. Is that what? When is it? We're back into teen years. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably I 
let me rewind a little bit. So I'm a, so let me say, I was about 17 and I stole my ex-girlfriend's stepbrother's gun out of their house and put it under my bed in my room. And my brother told my mom, and so they call the cops. If I'm telling the story correct, that's what happened. They call the cops. I go to jail, and then I get sent Russ Reed. Don't worry about it. From uh, the Beacon House, came and visited me when I was in CCC in jail and said they had a bed open and that I could go to the Beacon House. And so I went there. They kept paying my rent. I was too stubborn to get a job. And so I was there for about six and a half months. And uh, so they come, he come in to try and intervene in this lifestyle. You were, you know, we have these, we have these opportunities in our lives. I had plenty of them, these stoppages where something would happen that was critical in my path uh, that had an opportunity to stop me. Uh, but, but most of them did not. I wasn't I would, ready. And so I did soak up a lot of friendships and a lot of knowledge when I was there. And uh, I went off the deep end because I lost my daughter when I was there to an abortion. So you had gotten this, is this the same ex-girlfriend? No. 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 So you had gotten a girl pregnant and she chose to have an abortion? Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I got off HIP, I go back to Owensboro and live with my grandma for the summer. And me and Caleb had a best friend down there, and, it, and he was bad. Like, on anything he could get, any downers he could do, he was doing. And so I hung out with him while I was down there, and then came to the conclusion that I was bored. I didn't want to be in Owensboro no more. So I moved back to Louisville. And... um Fast forward a little bit. So we're in no hurry, so you can go you can tell as detailed as you feel led to do, brother. So I you know, I put mom and Keith through hell. I really did. I mean, because to me, you know, my dad took his life with the forty four and I was eight months old. Oh wow. And then another guy came along and he was a POS and mom got away from him and then she got with Keith and I was just like, He's just the next guy. Hmm. But he's actually a great, he's a great guy. He's a great stepdad. Really is. And I love him. And uh, so, I was living with them. And then I say, screw this. I'm going to go live with, with my buddy over on Westport. And so I'm living with him for a while. Just drinking as much as I can. As much. I'm doing whatever kind of drugs I can get my hand on. But I was never an IV shooter. I never wanted to put a vein in my arm unless it was a tattoo deal. Yeah. And so they move out of their house. Tyler Tyler moves out of his house. They move out to, uh, I want to say Dixie, somewhere out far. And so me and this kid, I'm not going to say his name, but me and my this old acquaintance who was rich. I didn't know it, but he was rich. I was going to ask you how who's funding all this. And so we go to these girls' house downtown. And we're basically living with them. And I, I'm, we're at this, it was January 15th of 2017. 
we were wasted like wasted and really high and i was on the phone with a girl i used to mess with who's a really good friend of mine now and she wanted to come over and hang out and buy sweet and chill and he kept saying some stuff and I, all i said was fuck you and laughed and he came up and shot me and that night was when i saw part of my higher power yeah so he just to rewind that a little bit we're partying nighttime huh is nighttime in yeah. the night uh late night i want to say nine or ten really so it's early in the evening for most people right uh, and, and the only thing you're doing is talking on the phone, trying to get this girl to come over. Yeah. And I'm sure all you she wanted to do her with her was smoke some weed, but, uh, was, uh, let me fuck her, let me fuck her, let me fuck her. And I give him the middle finger and say, fuck you. And all I remember is him having my stolen nine pistol. Yours. Yes. Your gun. Yes. And shooting me. That's all I remember. So this is another stolen gun you'd have a hold of. Yeah. I was not the best guy to be around yeah. back in the day. And he had somehow or another got it. Well, he was on the, there was a dresser on next, close to the front door. He was sitting on rapping because we had rap music going. And he's wasted. And then it happens. So he gets it and comes up behind you? No. Comes up to my face. He comes up and shoots you in your face. In my cheek and it goes out the side of my left, side of my head. Did you see him coming? I don't really remember. You don't remember? That was so long ago. Yeah. And uh, I saw my higher power that night, part of it. And then I don't remember coming back in the hospital immediately. I remember being there, like actually being there probably a month, month and a half in. Do you remember the gunshot? Yes. You actually remember that? I do. Did you stay conscious? No, I was deceased. You fell out. I mean, he shot me in the head. Yeah. So I wasn't there. So well, there's some pretty amazing stories where people get shot and they don't. So I just am curious about those details. So the minute the gun went off, you were out. Yes. And so, and I woke up in the hospital at some point later. Yeah, and a lot of my family from Owensboro came. My sister came, grandma, grandpa, brother. My mom called my brother. He was living in Denver at the time with his buddy and she says your brother's been shot in the head and all she told told me later on is what he did is he dropped the phone curled up in a ball and started crying Hmm. and me and my brother have a love-hate relationship like we'll be good for a minute and then we'll be at each other's throats but not seriously and so is he uh is he one of us also huh is he one of us also very much so still I mean, I don't want to throw him by under the bus either. I mean, he, I mean, he's, he has a job, you know. He he's getting his life together, but I don't think I don't think this program would wouldn't be too bad for him. I mean, if he wanted to be sober, yeah. I think I could help him. Yeah, like meet some people. Every it's it's available to everyone. It is just just like us, and you know, I mean, what what day it takes and what what and event this is and the what. Amazing. Uh, sometimes the, people uh, just uh, decide to do that, but most of us have to have some kind of catastrophe happen in our lives, some kind of, what do we say, enough pain. But we'll move on from that. So he's curled up in a ball in, in Denver. My mom gets him a plane ticket, and he comes home and comes to the hospital, and he's there for me. The amazing part of this program is, though, my mom became a nurse quite a few years ago. 
she told me that she didn't really know what it was for. But when I got hurt, she said she was in the hospital telling the doctors and nurses what to do. Mm. She was like, you're not going to trach and peg my son. His injuries from his face up, not neck down. And that was at 19 and I'm 22. And so I get better. I'm, ho- I'm hospitalized from January 15th to March 23rd of 2017. And so I come home and I couldn't, like I was, I was like a newborn baby. Mm. Keith had to shower me wow. and, and clothe me and help if like, and I, and I have seizures and pass out and, we from from the day I got out of the hospital when I came home, like when I was getting better, we we pray out of the daily word. We pray every day and drink coffee. And so I accumulated a year. My original my sprite date was January fifteenth by circumstance, and then I went and I had a drink. And then it was September 3rd, and my birthday September 9th. And I stayed sober up until January 10th of 2019. And I just got my disability money, and my brother comes home from work with Keith. He's like, go up, and I, keep in mind, I just turned 21 the last year. So I hadn't had a legal drink. And so he's like, go up to Liquor Road, get me a half pint. I said, you going to pay me back? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. So I go up there. And I, the guy's like, can I, I was like, can I get a half pint of some Benchmark? And then I said, wait, make that too. And he was like, let me see your ID. And, you know, I get the bottles. And so I'm walking and I open it and I chug half of it in the middle of the street going back going back to the house and I look down at it and I get so pissed off and I yell motherfucker and I throw it as far as I can I go in the house I throw Kelbs at his down in the basement go up to mom and Keith's room I'm like hey I just relapsed Keith's like get in the car we're going to a meeting that's when we went to spiritual underground hmm. and I had I surrendered like I was like I can't live like this so let me tell you a little something, Dan. Because of my injury, even if I wasn't an alcoholic, I still can't drink. Like, one beer could kill me. Like like that. So, it's it's God's will that I'm in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And um, so I get the Spiritual Underground, and I see all you guys happy, joyous, and free. I'm like, I want that shit. I want that juice they're talking about. So that's when I meet Chase. And he's like, call me for two weeks. And I did. And he became a sponsor. And we went through the steps again. And I got, I had done a couple fist steps prior to his. Oh, had you? Yeah. And a couple step studies. But his, the fist step I did with Chase was the most brutally honest one. I mean, I told, I told him things that I would swear that I was going to take to my grave. Right. Like some deep shit. Uh-huh. And it's it's funny because it started raining. We were out on his back porch and he giggles. I'm like, what's funny? He's like, nothing. I was like, come on, you can tell me. He was like, the rain washes all the pain away. Hmm. I'm like, that's right. 
It does. So we get the fifth step done. We finish the steps. And then I just celebrated a year. And the amazing thing about this program is I have guys that depend on me today for help. I just dropped from the beginning of this year. I just dropped my seventh fifth step with a couple different guys from the transitional living house on LaGrange Road. Like, they have my number saved there. Like, they're like, oh, you need a sponsor? Call him. So you're sponsoring people? Yeah. You're here in Fifth Steps is what? Yes. You said seven? Seven. Wow. And I that just got nice. another sponsee that I had before. And he was like, I relapsed. You be my sponsor again? I was like, you want to be sober? He was like, yeah. It's like, all right, get the work done. I'll come. Call me every day. And... The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is one of my best friends. You know, to me, like, I was raised Catholic. Yeah. So I do believe in Jesus. But I also believe in the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit. And then what I saw when I died. And I put those all together, and I just call it a God of my own understanding. So a higher power. Yeah. And so... The, the miracles that this, like, I have such, my best day, or my worst day sober, kicks my best day drunk or high's ass. Like, because I'm, I am clear-minded today. Like, I can think things through. I can play that tape all the way through. Right. And I don't, like, I don't have as many worries or stressors on my mind today. And it's beautiful. I don't have the cops coming and looking for me anymore. I had a little upset last week, but I'm, I got it taken care of and I'm going to move on. Take my beating like a man and <laughs> keep on moving. This program is just beautiful. That's really all I got. So when you, uh, you said this higher power experience when you, when you were shot, uh-huh. you want to elaborate on what that, yeah. what that, was exactly okay so before so i had only seen one picture of my biological father i don't ever remember him i don't remember him i was only eight months old yeah yeah you'd be, no way you'd remember that i was a baby he shot himself in the head to avoid prison and the hmm. mexican mafia so when i died i saw a lot of red flames and then it went completely dark. Like dark. And I saw light from all four corners. And a little light in the middle. And a being appeared. I can't really explain the being. It was just beautiful. And it brought me in face to face. And it fa- and its face looked like my mom Joy. Then it looked like my real dad Randall. And while it looked like him, it grabbed by the shoulders. Brought me in close. Looked me dead in my eyes. Smiled as big as he could. And pushed him away as far as he could. And I came back in the hospital. Hmm. That's what I remember. That's amazing. And every night for the last three years, I have the same dream of what happened. Every night. That reoccurs. Mm-hmm. Every day. And like, it's crazy, Dan. It's crazy. But I think of it like this. People say I'm weird for this. I was at the right place at the right time. Because where I was headed, 
I was either headed back to the deathbed or I was headed straight to the penitentiary. That's exactly where I was headed. I had no future going for me at all. Because I thought being a dope boy was going to save my life when it actually ended it. Hmm. And so I just, I can't express how much this program has saved my life. With the God of my own understanding, these 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the juice. Yeah. And the big book and the fellowship. I like, because when I came into the program, I was hanging out with old timers. Yeah. Like, that's who I like to be around is old timers because they know what's going on. A lot of wisdom. Yeah. So you were really, uh, I heard of, you know, just in a little bit what you said, you'd had at least talked about uh, you needed a gun around you it sounded like uh or felt that you needed one or at least i thought i did yeah uh that's like that thing about 100 forms of fear you know i i felt that way a long time too and one of the miracles of this is i no longer feel that right uh need to have that artificial protection right. anymore because uh, i truly do feel like as the book talks about being that i walk today safe and protected and i can go anywhere especially when i'm on these kind of missions right uh that that i will be protected i do not have anything to worry about and uh and if something would happen i would assume that would be under that same guise too that uh that would be uh that's beyond my control that's more powerlessness and, and, and right. things like that you know one of the other things about this whole uh this whole deal on this free will concept and being wide open is that most of the time when people uh, um, disturb me, just to use a pretty basic term, usually what's happening is they're using their free will freely. Yeah. And uh, I want to look at them as jerks or assholes or whatever, but, you know, we do have this gift of free will. We can do what we want to with it. But uh, so there's one of the things I was hearing is this uh, a life ate up with fear, right? I've, I've been a, uh... I've been a fear-based kind of guy since I was a baby. Like in school, I, I always, I didn't, I never wanted to hang out with the preppy kids. I wanted to see what those kids in the corner over there were doing, just chilling. Like, oh, they're skipping school. Let's go get high. Yeah. And there's that hard edge that those guys have, you know, that I wanted to be, you know, uh, prove my toughness. Right. By That's being able to hang out with them, you know, rather than because the other ones look like sissies to me. Right, and I did yeah. not want to be looked at as a sissy. No, I did. Period. I did not. Uh, and we'll go to a lot of links of of doing things that that to prove that I was not. Uh, Dad walked up to the window. He uh, looked in here and saw it, and just waved and turned around and walked back away. Sometimes I have a little sign over it says "recording in process." I always tell him when I'm uh, when I'm when I'm recording, you know, and I tip him off to that I am. But uh, I hope he didn't need anything too important. I'm sure he didn't. Uh, we get along real good. It's just interesting. Not too often does he actually bop out here. Uh, so I'm kind of catch that. Oop, whoops, <laughs> bye. Uh, so that life of fear, that life of uh, I can say today that there was still always through that. There was still a little thing in my gut that told me that I probably shouldn't been going down the path I was going on. You know, I overrode that uh, and 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 carried on. Right. Uh, one of the reasons was is because I was trying to fit in with these tougher dudes. Uh, you can move that. That thing will bend that to the left. Just grab the grab the stand like here. 
and you can move it anywhere you want to move it. That's the best place to grab it if you want to readjust it. And it'll it's it's pretty articulating. It'll go it's by nice. anywhere. Yeah, thought about hanging them from the ceiling, but I like oh I don't then they end up in my line of sight. Right. And I like to look over them rather than under them. Uh, is that that life of trying to fit in with these other people too? You know, and if I would have found like a way to fit in with them purpier kids, because I had a life where I was a little bit uh, playing both sides against the middle. Yeah. I still played sports. Yep. And and, and hung out on that side. Mm-hmm. At times when that suited me, you know, this whole chameleon thing we do, right? I put on the suit to fit me. You know, I'd have on the pop, popped up eyes on collar when I was hanging around with the, with the ball team and that side of things. I'd then throw on the blue jean jacket, you know, and, and all that and stick the pack of cigarettes in my pocket and all that when I'm over here on this side. Uh, and, sounds, and, sounds about right. Yeah. And, and I really, you know, there's times when I would go places where both places, when both elements would be at places like school dances and different kind of school activities, football games, different things like that, where, because uh, I, well, I didn't play football in high school, I, I played basketball. So I'd be at those and trying to figure out like who I needed to be tonight. Right. Uh, in order to be part of, because that was a whole big theme of my end of things too, is just trying to find a way to be a part of. You talked about that guy uh, offering you that beer the first time when you were eight right yeah uh i'm gonna venture to say that you offer you accepted that beer almost as a handshake in friendship more than wanting alcohol well because it says hey this says hey will you want to be with me and i'm of course my answer is yes right he was my you know he's my older cousin i was like i want to be cool i want to i want to actually i mean you're my family so i want you to actually like me so yeah, yeah. i'll take the beer yeah um was there drinking? Was that a was drinking normalized in your family system when you were younger? Did uh, you see a lot of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, because you said it was strict. Going to family events. Well, my grandma was strict growing up, but my my other family's not too like that. I mean, they're civilized country folk, but there is a lot of drinking with the when my older cousin Kelly comes, man, my uncle Duck. And a couple others, like, I mean, they have two fridges out in their garage now, and one's filled with beer, one's filled with, like, waters and stuff like that. I mean, they get they get pretty drunk at family events. Yeah. Drinking was normalized in my family system, but I didn't really see people getting drunk very often. There would be the occasion when I can recall some things, and actually most of the time when that would happen, it'd be like maybe a party kind of not, you know, and these weren't parties in the way that me and you partied. Right. These were like family barbecue parties, you know, where right. you had hamburgers and hot dogs and there's a bunch of kids running around and all that. And some, I, I do have some memories of some people on the periphery uh, going past the limit, you know, and, and will get drunker than, than what, you know, and I didn't understand that as a little guy. Uh, I did at some level, you know, see that, but, but there was always beer at those kind of functions. Always. No, there wasn't too much hard liquor going on that I witnessed, but some people did. Some people had a, a cocktail and that kind of thing. But I never saw people drinking to excess uh, on a regular basis around me. But certainly the, the, the consumption of alcohol was normalized. You know, it, right. I had no, you know, it looked, like what, it looked like what adults did. Yeah, when I was that, I mean, I'd see what they were drinking, and then I'd see how they act, and I'd be like, there's something going on in that drink. It was like some magical powder or something. And uh, so, you know, you know I got that, took that beer and chugged it. 
and it was disgusting. Yeah, and, I still say, you know, people don't drink I just instantly because they like, like the taste of this it. This is heaven. I started feeling good. That warm feeling pours over you, and uh, and I like remember you said, it like it's it was like yesterday. Magic. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, I started sneaking beers out of those same kind of refrigerators you're talking about, you know. But uh, I, what I recall as being young is, uh, is I was doing that to like be tough and 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 look like an adult, look like a grown up, you know. So I would grab a beer out of the refrigerator, oh, you know, yeah. and and like I grew up in a in a in a family that I had a lot of male cousins, right? That were around the same age as me, and uh, most of them did not partake in that. Matter of fact, I can remember some warnings and stuff like you know, nah, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> And, uh, but that actually probably actually egged me on even more. Cause I was like, well, you know, what, well, tell me, you know I mean, as a budding alcoholic, you tell me what not to do is the fastest way to get me to do it. Right. right. Um, it's interesting how those dynamics play in and, and looking back at that, uh, I mean, that living little in the journey. Highlands, I would always, you know, I lived right there by Tyler park next to Shrek's liquor. I go in there and steal a bottle every couple of days. Steal it. Oh yeah. I mean, my my poison was a fifth of Maker's Mark. Oh, didn't yeah. have to be cold. Didn't like it really warm, but I'd drink it warm. Room temperature, I, I could chug a whole... Back in the day, I could have chugged a whole fifth of Maker's Mark and still just been tipsy. Hmm. I mean, my alcohol tolerance level was high. Because if I, had, if I had alcohol or even beer, whatever... I needed some drugs, and if I had the drugs, I was like, I need a drink. So they, I have a coexisting problem because for me, being an addict is a form of my alcoholism. So, yeah, I like a combination. You know, one thing about alcohol to me, and then it is, it's a depressant, right? Uh, <clears throat> and I can only do that so long on its own. Uh, I like drugs that would pop me up and keep me drinking. You know, I didn't, I wasn't really, I didn't like the benzos and the other things like that that would bring you down. Uh, that wasn't my deal. And uh, uh, I like things that would bring me up and allow right. me to continue the party. One thing that really messed me up is uh, when I came home and I was able to like, because me and Keith go on walks all the time with my dog, Sasha. Like we've been doing it since 2017. I got her for a Christmas present. And, uh. I came home from the hospital and I was walking to my old buddy Zach's house and I guess my friend Sarah drives by and she calls me. She's like, Hey, you need to walk home now. I was like, why? What's going on? Like I was pretty, still pretty sick. She's like, Zach's dead. Don't go to his house. Go home. And so I go home and eventually I get in touch with his dad who despised me. And then we went on a couple walks and found out that when I got shot, he was a couple beds away from me in the ICU. Oh, really? Overdosing on heroin. Mm. Is that what killed him? Opiates. Yeah. And so... What happened to the fellow that shot you? He's out running amok. Really? And I want nothing to do with him. Because if I... Let me just put it this way, Dan. If I see him, I'm going to need someone really strong and spiritually fit to hold me back from taking his head off. Hmm. But I also try to let go and let God and trust the process. Because I want to be spiritually fit enough to where if I see him, I can just keep walking. 
and not worry about them. But well, I can certainly understand the resentment at that level. Uh, I've done many fist steps, and he's been in the top one of the top ones on there, and he still he was on my last one. So he didn't receive any consequences from this. No. But I'm gonna eventually do a fist step to where I'm, he's not gonna be on it. I have forgiven him in a way, but I'm still I will never forget. Hmm. Ever. Well, it's a hard thing to forget, you know, and that's a. Uh, um, I mean, and I don't I, I just feel led a little bit, you know, until that actually that level of freedom can come for you. That's going to, you know, that, that'd be a little, that'll be a, Let's la- this last January 15th, a tough one to, to, to get by. But I want you do are able to release that one. Uh, I believe you'll feel a, a level of lightness in your heart that you are going to be blown away by. I got a couple people on my fist app that have been on there since the first one, but. then so when you say this, just for clarity, you're not just doing fist steps, right? You're working through the steps, or are you just running around doing fist steps? No, I go through them. Okay, I no. just want to clarify that that you know because you you're pinging on that pretty pretty hard, and I want to make sure that uh, no, either from the I've standpoint done, of the listeners that we're clear on what's going on. Yeah, have I do one through twelve? If you know, I'm planning on doing this like the steps once once a year, one yeah. through twelve. Yeah, just to get me fresh on them. But so you're inventorying this, and this guy's on your inventory every time. Oh, yeah. these particular people, yeah, and then uh, and it just is not going away. No, it's I mean, we I say that God's say not going to necessarily selfish and self centered and, and harboring the resentment on purpose. I hmm. guess you could say that. I don't really know if that's the truth, yeah, and I'm not suggesting that either. Steps, all right, I have people on my fist step that I could. My next one I do, I, they won't be on there. And what I've noticed about my fist step is my list keeps getting shorter and mm-hmm. shorter and shorter. That would be the hope. <laughs> like, my first one, I probably had 25 names. Second, uh, 20. And this last one I did, I probably had 13 names on there. Not not a lot. Like, maybe a page and a half. So my list keeps getting shorter. And I yep. love that. That means I'm spiritually growing. Yep. And today, if something pisses me off, Dan, I actually pause when agitated. Right. I thought you guys were just saying that to be cool. Everyone in the program is like, oh, pause when agitated and pray. I'm like, oh, fuck off. But I, it's true. I actually do it, and I pause when agitated, and I say this serenity prayer. That was my first tattoo is the serenity prayer. Hmm. I've been saying it since I was seven years old. Wow. I got out of boot camp when I was 16, I think, 17, 18, something like that. I was on Fort Knox for five and a half months. I was a cadet. It was either that or go to prison. And so I did that. And my present my mom got me was my first tattoo. And uh, it was a serenity prayer. It's my first one. And tattooing, I love tattoos. My real dad was a tattoo artist. Oh, really? And it's, you could say like music and tattoos or my meditation. Like anytime I'm stressed, all I gotta do is look at my hands. That's all I gotta do. And then I have the, I'm branded with Unity Service Recovery and G for God. I just can't express enough how much this program has helped me. Like I'm actually, I don't, I'm not worried about 
even an hour from now or two weeks a day i'm worried about, i i'm trying to stay in the present because if i have a foot in yesterday and a foot in tomorrow i'm wasting the day yep absolutely that's not limited to us man day at a time is uh is a real is a real deal and if you can stay in it i was 15 i used to go to alateen did you yeah and i was at no name i was about 15 i was high as a kite and then there was this old timer his name was pigeon i recall that name i don't know him and uh he's well he was well now and he's upstairs now yeah and um i was smoking a cigarette 15 my mom was there for the meeting he comes up to me says you're high as a kite <laughs> he said what's your name i say dylan what's up <laughs> he's like i'm pigeon he's like and then he's about to walk in he's like let me tell you something dylan no matter who loves you leaves you or dies you don't have to get drunk or high tonight even if you want to and i still did for many years but for some reason that is always stuck in my head always yeah well seeds get planted yeah so going to alateen messing with girls in alateen you know i still got that's where the seed really got planted and then then i went to the beacon house i was faking it till i made it but i still was there for six and a half months and was helping guys out they were helping me out building friendships going places and now, I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous for me, because I want to be. And uh, that's really all I got. Well, thank you for coming in here today. Uh, this is the first time you've actually spoke. You haven't spoken at a podium yet, is that no, right? No, sir. You will be, uh, I believe. Um, you know, Chase, the first time he told his story was on the uh, on the podcast really yeah yeah, yeah. it's the first time he spoke uh so, kind of get a little practice run you know under uh, a controlled environment so to speak you know you can uh no audience to have to look out to and right uh i'd like to think i'm a comfortable person to talk to i think i am uh so i hope i put you at ease and from that from that standpoint uh it is an amazing story somebody mentioned the other day and I, and i don't I, this got away from me uh, that there was another guy that's been shot in our group. Do you know that? I did not. Um, a, a friend had said to me the other day that he's talking to somebody, and he said he realized that we were sitting in a room with two people who had been shot in the head. He's been shot in the head, too? That's what this guy told me. Huh. I uh, have to find and, that out. Yeah, me too. I'm interested in hearing that because I like, you know, it's it's an unbelievable today. survival story for both. Right. I want to meet and, him. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, you know, that's that's why I kind of mention it. It's like we I know I want to find out who this other guy is. Uh that uh and we say we have a common problem. Right. <laughs> uh, like, that would uh, be a Let's hang out. Yeah. <laughs> because if he's been shot in the head, he also has a TBI. And he can, What is that? He, traumatic brain injury. And then that that plays a role in who you are today, right? There's some Very much things so. going on Very, that are lingering from so. that. You yes. said something about the seizures. So it's really hard to explain my daily what daily what goes on in my head. Like, look, I move my head this way, everything shifts to the left. I can feel it shifting. Really? Now everything's over here. Hmm. I got this part gone. 
half a prosthetic scalp, two heart stents in my face, and a titanium plate. And I'm half blind. And I'm comfortable. Like, I don't care what people think of what I look at this point. I really don't. Yeah. It's like, boo. Does it cause some processing issues and things like that as far as, like, manipulating through the day and, and uh, processing things? From uh, where I was, Keith can vouch for this. From where I was when I came home to where, to where I am now, a lot of progress. A lot of growth. Yeah, the body like will I can heal. wake up today and take a shower by myself. Uh-huh. I can walk to the gas station by myself. You know, if I get up too fast, I need to sit back down because I will hit I will hit the deck. Yeah. And if I get really anxious and really anxious or really angry or upset, I start the room starts to do this. Hmm. It starts to spin and I get real lightheaded like all it comes all the way up. Yeah. And I hit the deck. I take, take medicine, you, you know, yeah. I'm on a I have to be on a 325 aspirin for the rest of my life. Blood thinner. Yeah. The seizures, or this something happens often, or are they... No, uh, it depends. It really depends on, like, like sometimes it can just happen out of nowhere. Like, I could have one right now, and I wouldn't know it. You don't know it's coming. Right. Sometimes I know it's coming, sometimes it just hits me. Hmm. But I work through it. I take medicine every day for it. So. The, uh... You know, my life is a journey that I'm not done with yet. Yeah. Well, it's you know. certainly inspiring, you know. I mean, this stuff of uh, my, uh, some people have to come back from, you know, everybody has their own thing, you know. I mean, we talk about these high bottoms and low bottoms and this kind of thing, you know. Uh, and obviously this uh, traumatic brain injury, this this deal is is uh, is a, is a, uh, a deeper journey than some of us are tasked with. You know, and uh, and it shows that uh, that that you know there's no. You know, I keep on getting stories that show me that there's like no limitations to what how this program can operate in people's lives. You know, because yeah. we we do we bounce around and you hear it. You know that people believe this won't work for them, right? I always thought this and, was uh, just um, cult that my mom was in. Yeah. Oh, she's she's getting drunk and high. I know it on the side. Uh, no, it's legit. Yep, and your you know your story is proof that of another you know from a completely different trajectory of what this, uh, what what these principles and and these steps and and what this fellowship can do. Uh, because frankly, you know, a lot of people would say you were too far gone to be coming back, right? And I'm sure I mean, that was, I'm I sure mean, that day that the next that little short period of time when you were in a hospital after the actual shooting, I imagine a lot of people assumed that was probably the, the last time they would like, see me. Yeah, and the fact that you're sitting around being a productive person today and you know, sitting across here and helping other people and member of society. Yeah, uh, you know I don't take for granted the second chance right. that my higher power has gave given yeah, me. That's I really don't. Know. You know God hasn't dro- brought me this far. Dropped me on my head now. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that was a much better way of what I was trying to say. The distance you have come in a short amount of time is phenomenal, and it is representative of these miracles I speak of. You know, I talk about miracles in my life uh, that are nowhere in the neighborhood of the miracle you have I mean, we all experienced. Got I don't get it. I don't mean I'm not downplaying mine. I'm just saying that you know that is that's right. this a whole different story from you know. Uh, 
I, I can't even pull something out of my hat. I, I don't want to, and I don't want to put a comparison on it either. That's not what I mean. It just means that, uh, that, that it is. It's just to have been shot in the head. You, you know, people do not survive that generally. That is not a survivable, uh, no. episode for most folks. And for you to be, uh, doing what you're doing today and sitting across the table here telling this story and out helping other people. And, you know, showing up and, and your demeanor and your, your whole being is a different than it was. You can feel the tense, tenseness and the doubting and the, uh, the way you came in to begin with was, uh, a long ways from the energy you're putting out today. Because when you come in today, there's a smile on your face and a glow in your heart that simply, uh, uh, can't be missed. Right. And, you know, and when we saw you show up, that was not there. And uh, to the new guy, you know, it can always get worse. So don't think this can't happen to you. But if, you come in, if you're coming into this program, it's beautiful. And if you fall, get right back up. Get into the solution. Stick your hand out and someone will grab your hand. I promise you that. I promise. Awesome. Closing thoughts there, uh. I always offer people a concluder and you just stabbed it rather than uh, wait for me to do that. So good for that. That's cool. Uh, I like it when, uh, when that happens. Got anything else you want to say? To my AA family. I love you guys. I really do. Thank you for all. Thank you for being there for me since day one. My name is Dylan and I am an alcoholic. One eleven nineteen. Nice. Thanks, man. It's an unbelievable story, um, and they keep on being on here, and uh, people keep showing up, and that's the job I feel that has been tasked with is to carry this message to people who uh, who have these comebacks and survive the uh, what what seems to be unsurvivable, and uh, and come back to lead a life that uh, you know, as I said before, we say around here that if I wrote if I had written a script for it, I sold myself short. Um, I think I'll just leave the commercials off the tail end of this one. Uh, I do like to close in the same way every time. One of the things I always say is, is if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Yeah.